0: What is up, everyone, and welcome to the Fitness Lit Breakdown podcast. I am your host, Dr. Nick Truby. Now, I'm excited for many reasons today, the first of which, it's currently 65 degrees in my garage gym slash podcast studio. And number two, I found an amazing paper that I can't wait to dive into because it has so many great takeaway messages that we can all use in our own training as we strive to continue our improvement in our overall fitness and health. So, our study today that we're gonna dive into is dealing specifically with how can we vary our training sets with rest. Now, I think we all have some understanding of, depending on how long a set is, whether it's two reps or five reps or 12 reps or 20 reps, usually the longer that set is, repetitions-wise, or the heavier we're lifting, we tend to need more rest after. Right, I think that's kind of well-known data out there. The more work we do, the more rest we need before we can go back and do another set of exercise. So this paper looks specifically at, can we compare what's kind of seen as the traditional sense of rest and work, like doing a set of 12 repetitions and maybe resting for X number of minutes before going back to 12 repetitions? Or can we kind of mix that up a little bit and redistribute the amount of rest and work we're doing, still doing the same amount of work, still having the same amount of rest, but maybe doing three or four reps, resting for a brief time, doing three or four more reps, resting for a brief time, and so on. So I'll dive into the specifics of what this paper looked at, so to not confuse anybody, but understand that we're still dealing with the same amount of work in the same amount of overall training time and how that may affect our ability to improve power or how fast we can move something or strength or our fatigue ability, how long it takes us to fatigue or maybe a combination of all three, okay? So this study looks at the efficacy of rest redistribution during squats. And we're looking at it in considering things like strength, how quickly we can move something, a.k.a. power, if there's any difference between sexes. And sex in this instance would be the biological difference between a male and a female, okay? So um, keep that in mind as we're dealing specifically with um, all those variables talking today. Now when you look at uh, power production, because this is gonna be tracked throughout this investigation as we talk about it, power, I don't want you to think of power in the sense of like watching a high-performing athlete on TV. Or you know, watching a very you know, like a strongman competition where a person is producing a lot of force. Power, I think, it's a, a almost a misinterpretation uh, of how we think about it and its application in the common person. So, power, like we've talked about in previous episodes of this podcast, is force times distance divided by time. Force is the weight you're lifting. The distance is how far you're going to lift that weight, right? If you're doing a squat, when you're standing up or lowering. In time, obviously, is how long it takes you to perform each rep. Now, like we've talked before, if you can do it faster, even if you don't change how much you're lifting, you've produced more power, right? Decrease the amount of time, you increase the amount of power you produce. Now, this is extremely valuable across the age range. No matter if we're talking about athlete-specific, because that's obviously correlates to almost every performance variable in the likelihood of a person being successful in a lot of sports. But it also has a great implication and impact for the regular person. Because as we age, and I'm not talking like, you know, well beyond our fittest years, I'm talking like physiological middle age, which tends to be hover around somewhere around 25 years of age. Now, we tend to start losing our ability to produce power, and then our neuromuscular system starts to make some changes with how we like to recruit those higher force producing muscle fibers. Um, some of those obviously tend to be those type two muscle fibers we talked before. And there's a kind of a, a just a little bit of a difference between a certain types of type two, one that produce a lot of force, but are really challenging to recruit from a neuromuscular side. We tend to lose the ability to recruit those as we age only if we don't continue to train. So basically the, the time old saying of, if you don't use it, you lose it. Is 100% true with our physiology, specific to producing power. Now, power is important no matter how old we are, and especially through the the age range when we start aging into the last decades of our life, because we need to be able to, you know, focus on catching ourselves from a fall or maintaining balance, or still being able to produce, you know, in, in capable of doing those tasks um, that are important for our livelihoods. So, keep power in mind because we should all be training for power. Um, And it doesn't have to look like, you know, doing a a power type movement. Um, It could be just specific to our repetition velocity or how fast we lift something. So we all know that, you know, specific types of training will affect how we can produce power and power being related to how fast we're moving something, right? Now, when you look at traditional sets, like I talked before, that's like you do a set of X number of reps with a very detailed amount of time we have to rest. And we just repeat that depending on how many sets we would like to do. And we tend to see with this, just inherently because of how we tend to fatigue or how we all get tired, let's say we're doing 10 repetitions. Obviously, when we start, we're trying to do a repetition fast, right? And this, we'll talk a lot about in this study, it's a squat exercise. We're trying to lower controllably into the squat, maintaining technique and focusing on technique. But as soon as we start to stand up, we're intentionally trying to stand up as fast as we can, generating as much force in as quick amount of time as we can, and stand up as quick as we can. And that is what we're talking about in generating power. So we're still focused on maintaining technique, yes. We're not jumping to where our feet are coming off the floor, but we're standing up as quick as possible, intentionally. Now if we continue to try and do that through a rep range, obviously as we start to fatigue, that pop up from the squat doesn't happen as quickly. So with traditional sets, we tend to lose our ability to produce power just because of the demand for having to do X number of reps. Now this has been looked at in different forms, and one of the forms that is being a direct comparison for today's purposes is called rest redistribution. And what we're looking at there is we're trying to find some kind of happy medium where... We don't see as much decrease in power, so maybe we're doing fewer reps with smaller uh, rest intervals in between and then jumping back and doing you know, X number of reps with the hopes of maintaining as much overall velocity or standing up in that squat as possible to focus on training power throughout the entire workout. Okay, so that's the biggest difference. And like I'll, I'll give you some more detailed analysis of, of what those actual sets look like in the, the participants of the study and how they did it. So they wanted to look at you know how was that power um, or velocity measure different between those two groups. We also wanted to look at things like perceived exertion. And there's a RPE scale, Rating of Perceived Exertion, that's commonly used in the exercise world and even the medical field for that matter as well. And it gives an indicator of a person when they're going through some kind of stressor, in this case it's an exercise session, how hard do they perceive themselves working and it's usually on a scale from 6 to 20 and we don't need to dive into the specifics of why it's 6 to 20 but know that there is some physiological and scientific data backing this and we can look at you know how hard a person thinks they're working compared to how hard were they're actually objectively working through other measures that we can actually look at during this study so that's important as well because we're going to compare that between the two groups likely because if you think you're working harder, obviously it's more of a demand on your body and physiology, and that could affect your overall performance. So we need to know and understand how hard a person's working. So we'll we'll talk about that as well. And we'll also talk about heart rate. The authors wanted to look at heart rate if there was a difference in, you know, basically your metabolic activity or aerobic capacity, depending on if you were doing longer sets with longer rest intervals compared to shorter sets with very short intervals and how that might change. Um, but for heart rate as well. They also hinted at and basically said it was easy to measure, so why not get that measurement, which, you know, I agree with as well. So pretty cool investigation that we're going to dive into. Um, we A lot of, you know, previous research has kind of been done on this topic, uh, but not very specific to that rest redistribution mentality of how we're going to define these sets in rest intervals if with a direct comparison to traditional sets. And a lot of great takeaway messages we'll look into specifically talking about how you can use this in your own training, some methodologies for you to hone in on and really get a great idea of where you are currently as a baseline and how you can improve using some of these strategies. Okay. So keep in mind um, that as we jump forward and talk about all the fun stuff with this study. Now, there wasn't much research in the past that is done between sexes, so between males and females, in how this rest redistribution might affect either one. And there hasn't been a whole lot in, in the area of heart rate as well. So this is kind of you know, giving you some ideas of what we're going to talk about here in a second. All right, so when you look at what actual data we're, we're collecting, um, this group of people, it was 45 people, 30 of which were men and 15 were women, so not an equal representation of, of males and females, but a pretty decent um, size in range of abilities. And they were all considered resistance trained. And I think the average training years of experience were between three and a half to five years. So pretty good in terms of overall duration of how long this person has been consistent with their training. Um, if we look at the strength capacity of these people the average one rep max for the men in the study was around 290 pounds for the squat. That's pretty good, right? It's a pretty fit person. Um, And for the women involved, it was 183 pounds. So that's pretty dang good too as well for these gals involved in the study. Now, obviously that's a pretty wide range and difference between strength measures. And you probably would imagine that um, just from looking at fit individuals on the street between men and women. But they also broke that down and looked at it in a sense of a relative strength ratio, RSR, they called it. And all that was was they looked at this person's one repetition maximum and divided that by their body weight. And when we did that, it almost you know created an equal playing ground for both men and women. And their ratios were 1.64 to 1.34 respectively between men and women. So not a very huge difference once you, you normalized this Normalized means we just divided by their body weight from you know how much they're lifting one time, and found that they're almost equally matched as far as power to weight ratio. Uh, they were both pretty fit uh, groups. Percent body fat average was eighteen percent and twenty five percent between the two. Um, now that may seem like a high number, but for a you know an active person, um, that's pretty normal, maybe a little bit less, you might start seeing some really defined abs and things like that. If you're kind of wondering what that would look like, maybe, you know, around 12 to 13 percent for a male, you would start looking at, you know, really seeing a definition um, and probably somewhere around that 15 to 18 percent range for females. So really, very fit individuals in this study, um, which I think is important because we can really see um, differences between the two ways of how their sets were organized, because typically fitter individuals have some capacity of resisting fatigue, and I think that's important to look at here as well, um, because it'll really give us a detailed analysis of which may be better in terms of a methodology for how you're going to organize your sets in rest intervals. Okay, so the, the primary purpose was to, to look at the difference between a traditional set group, and I think a key difference here before I jump into that as well was These 45 individuals, right, the 30 males and and 15 females, um, did did both of these different types of strategies. So um, they essentially came into the lab on the first day, and they did a one repetition maximum protocol, which I'll talk about in a second because I think it's valuable for you to understand how they did this. And then they came in on another day and did the traditional set protocol, Okay. And the traditional set protocol was four sets of 10 repetitions with a three minute rest interval between sets. So they did 10 reps, three minute rest, 10 reps, three minute rest, and so on, at 65% of that one repetition maximum. So the first time they came in, they did a one rep max, got that data, took off. The next time they came in, they either did that protocol, which I just explained, or that rest redistribution protocol, which was 10 sets, of four repetitions but only a one minute rest in between sets right so they did four reps one minute rest four reps one minute rest for 10 sets and believe it or not which is really cool i think this is the really most important factor of this overall amount of work was the same because they both either way you did it you did 40 repetitions and either way you did it you had the exact same amount of time with according to rest Okay, so when you look at those numbers and break them down, rest was the same, overall work was the same, but the way in which you organized that was different. So we're not talking about adding training time here, because I don't think anybody has or wants to increase the amount of time they're spending training. Um, so this is the exact same amount of time with your training, so you're not changing that at all. Okay, so they came in, in the one repetition maximum protocol, I think this is a, a different one that I'm you know, familiar with, but there's a lot of different ways to do it. And this is something that you can try in your own training because it's a safe, effective measure way to do this. And there's some physiological things you can capitalize on here as well. So, all the people came in, they did a, a quick five minute aerobic, just a very, you know, a cycling protocol at like 50% of the person's effort just to get some blood flowing. Did a dynamic warm up and did a squat specific warm up as well. And then they started with 20 kilograms squat for eight reps. And that's just the barbell, which is around 44 to 45 pounds and then they started to increase their weight each time. So then they performed three reps at around 50% of their one rep max. Then they did two reps, somewhere between 50 and 80% of their one rep max. And then they they went they started to go above that, above 80%, and started adding weight very gradually and just doing one rep at a time. So some a strategy you can probably apply is just pick a resistance you're very comfortable with and that you can do easily for 10 or 12 times and just rep those out. Take a two-minute rest break, increase the resistance, something that you can probably do five or six times, challenging five or six times. Take a two-minute break, increase the resistance, something you can do two or three times, that you're confident you can get two or three times. Take a two-minute break, then start adding resistance to where you think you can do one time. And do it once. If you feel like you had more gas in the tank, two-minute break, add a little bit more weight on, try it again until you finally get to the point where you can't get any more. So it's not just you know you getting under the bar or whatever exercise you're doing you know right after the warm up and just do, boom one time what what can I get? You need a gradual progression of increasing load until you get to that final destination, which is your one repetition maximum. Now this is important um, neurologically because you know that we've talked in the past about recruiting different types of muscle fibers and the size principle, which we talked about in the last episode, episode five or four, whatever that was. <laughs> So the neurological component is important. When you look inside of the muscle as well, there, believe it or not, there's calcium released during muscle activity. And the calcium basically has to be there before any tension can take place within the muscle. Tension meaning like, you know, actual force is being produced and you can move things. So the more uh, buildup of those repetitions and resistance gradually, you allow calcium to get further and further within inside of the muscle itself. To where you start getting more and more active muscle to produce force. So some really cool physiological things at play that we need and we can bank on if we do a gradual increase in resistance during that one repetition maximum. So bottom line, don't try your one rep max attempt on the very first set. Gradually work into it. I promise you won't fatigue. The fatigue component, if you do it correctly, it won't be an issue. Okay, so during um, that, keep in mind, they, they after that, that one repetition maximum, they came in two more times the first time, it was, it was random. You came in and either did the traditional set or the rest re- redistribution. You waited three days, came back in, and did the other one. Okay, So they made sure they had enough rest time in between. And they measured all kinds of cool stuff with this as well. They uh, looked at specifically how much power you were producing. And this was based off a, a measurement um, that's a really cool tool called a Tendo unit. And it's just a really, uh, it's, it's very easy to use and it gives you a velocity output of how quickly you're moving the barbell in this case. And from there, um, it, it calculates a power number for you. So we looked at how power was being produced through the timeline of those repetitions. Because you can probably already expect, if you were in the traditional set where you're doing 10 repetitions, power output was probably the highest of the first few reps and then had a steady decline all the way to 10 reps. Compared to the four-rep set, Probably not as much of a difference in how much power you can produce when you only had to produce four reps, right? You know fatigue is not going to be as much of a play there. And that's something that I'm kind of foreshadowing here for you as well. All right. So pretty cool little investigation they had set up here to really see if there was a difference. And I love the application piece of this because this is something you can take with you right now and run with, um, knowing that it's not going to affect your overall training time and knowing that this is some actual evidence-based data backing, all this cool stuff that we're gonna talk about. Okay, so let's dive into some of the results. And some of the results that we're gonna to stick to most and really d- um, dive into further look at mean velocity. So I'm gonna use that term quite a bit as we move forward. Mean velocity, I'm not gonna give you their um, calculation of how they got this because that's not you know really important. Um, but I want you to think about mean velocity being throughout the set, whether it was the 10 rep set or the four rep set, we're gonna take the average velocity from the bottom of the squat until you stood all the way up to the top of the squat, okay, that, from the bottom to the top. And every repetition, the person doing that set or each rep was being instructed to stand up as quick as they could, right? They were intentionally trying to produce as much power as possible. So know that they weren't just lazy and standing up from a squat, blah, 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 blah. They were doing it as fast as they could. So we looked at mean velocity over the set, and we looked at mean velocity and broke it down a couple different ways comparing you know earlier sets to later sets and then total sets. Okay, so that's something to, that's really important because we need to understand if velocity slows down during these sets and comparing the two, that means overall power output is decreasing as well, right? Because that velocity component is the important component of what's actually producing the power. Um, So, let's dive in here. All right, so some really cool data that was found. And I'll try and give you some uh, physiological, you know, kind of uh, methodologies for why some things were found, and some takeaway messages here that I think you'll be able to use in your own training. So let's do a, a direct comparison. And I'll give you some results between the rest redistribution trial compared to the traditional set trial. So if you take all of the repetitions together, so all 40 repetitions, the mean velocity was faster if you did the rest redistribution compared to traditional sets. And that was seen to be statistically significant, meaning that it just wasn't by chance. This difference was a real difference that we can hone in on and say, wow, If you did four reps with a small break, went back in and did four more reps and continued that cycle, you can maintain your overall velocity, a.k.a. your power output, better than doing longer uh, sets of those 10 repetitions. Your mean velocity repetitions from the first to 20 reps, so the first half of those, was faster in the rest redistribution trial compared to the traditional sets, also significant. Here's the big kicker. I think this is the cool one of the coolest takeaway messages here. If we look at reps 21 to 40 between the two trials, rest redistribution and total or er, sorry, excuse me, traditional sets. There was a difference obviously, right? We could probably predict that rest redistribution was faster and didn't lose as much of its of its, you know, mean velocity over that time trial. But the difference between the two got larger meaning that the traditional sets, those last two sets of 10, overall mean velocity of that person standing up as quick as they can from the bottom of the squat decreased and decreased even more. Compared to the last 20 repetitions, if you're doing the rest redistribution trial, that difference barely decreased from the overall average and almost identical compared to the average mean velocity. So essentially saying, you are almost able to maintain your your average velocity of standing up from rep one to rep 40. If you do the rest redistribution, compared to a traditional set of doing four sets of 10 reps, you really start to see decreases in your ability to stand up as quick as possible. Okay, so if power and velocity is the focus of that training session, perhaps doing a rest redistribution strategy could be best because you can really focus on that active velocity with each rep during each set compared to you know fatiguing throughout that process. So that's a, an awesome takeaway message right there. And we can look at it as well from the decline of your mean velocity, all those things, but the rest redistribution tactic tends to outweigh all of those things when you're looking at power production compared to using traditional sets. Okay, so that's an awesome takeaway message right away. Now we can look at the, because I mentioned before, we wanted to see if there was a difference between sexes, right? And if you look at that specifically, um, not much was seen um, if you were a a male or a female in your capacity to produce force, how quickly you could produce force and how much you fatigued. It was essentially the, the same statistically between the two sexes. So I'm not very surprised by that because they were almost identically matched for strength relative strength based on how much they weighed and how much they could do one time in their one rep max, right, and they had very similar um, training experience. So this is not a conundrum to me. You can almost expect that to happen. Some really neat findings started to show up when you looked specifically at that relative strength ratio. Your one rep max divided by how much you weigh. And this is some fun stuff that we can dive into here. So if your relative strength ratio was somewhere between 1.25 to 1.5. So you can calculate this for, on yourself just for fun. Right? If you know your one rep max divided by your body weight. If it's between 1.25 and 1.5, that, that group in specific, which there were 17 people that fit in that category, had the best relative strength ratio in terms of maintaining that average velocity number. I'll say that again. So if your relative strength ratio is somewhere between 1.25 and 1.5, that group saw the best ability to maintain their mean velocity throughout the 40 repetitions, okay? No matter if you did the rest redistribution or if you did the traditional sets. Obviously, it was better if you did rest redistribution compared to traditional sets, but here's the big kicker. If you was greater, if your relative strength ratio was greater than 1.75, you saw the lowest ability to maintain that mean or average velocity. So you saw the biggest decrease in the velocity that you were able to produce standing up from that squat throughout that 40 rep range. If you took the average, you saw the, the biggest difference, meaning you dropped your velocity the, the most. And, you know, why is that? We almost have to look you know, at physics in one way. And if you look at Newton's first law of motion dealing with inertia, and this deals with, you know, heavier objects with more mass or more matter tend to be harder to accelerate, right? Harder to go from zero to 60, and also harder to stop go from 60 to zero compared to things that are lighter. It's almost like if you look at a space shuttle. Yes, it has a bajillion horsepower, but it weighs so much that At takeoff, it almost seems like it hovers and stops for a second before we start to see a gradual increase in how fast that thing travels out into space. So just based off of pure physics, if you're lifting something heavier, no matter how strong you are, if the heavier and heavier and heavier it gets, obviously it's going to have an effect on how fast you can lift it. Even if you're super strong and you can lift a lot of weight, the heavier something is, it's going to take longer to lift, just based purely off that law of inertia. So we can see this even more so in this study that if we're training for power at 65% of one rep max, over 40 repetitions, the weight is high enough to where we start to see decreases in a person's ability to, you know, do it as quickly as possible. So for the very strong population, focusing on, you know, training for pure power, just You know, getting those that neuromuscular connection to to fire and do it quickly as possible, you might need to do it at something less than 65% of your one rep max. Likely somewhere closer to 40%. In the data, that's where we're seeing a a nice number around 40% of your one rep max. If you're really worried about moving a resistance as fast as possible. So for those people that are strong, power to rate ratio more than likely you can maintain that average velocity, but once you start getting super strong, then you're just dealing with pure science there, okay? Good talk to Isaac Newton himself. So that's a cool takeaway finding as well. So in the heart rate response as well, there were some differences. So we can look at this as almost like an overall metabolic effect, um, or you know metabolic uh, capacity between the two. So the average heart rate, if you just took the average heart rate from rep one all the way to rep 40, the rest redistribution had a higher average heart rate. And that was seen to be significantly different compared to the traditional sets. And that probably makes sense because you're doing much less rest, right? Typically, if you increase the amount of time you're resting, you allow heart rate to decrease more gradually until it finally gets back to that spot where it wants to be. So less rest typically means higher heart rate. The average, or the, the minimum heart rate that they saw from one rep one to rep 40 was higher in that Uh, rest redistribution as well, right? We just talked about that. You don't give it enough time to come back down to some kind of homeostasis number that your heart wants to be at. And But the overall, their maximum heart rate we saw was the highest in traditional sets, mainly because the overall time of work at at one point in time was greater, right? That person did 10 reps without stopping compared to just four reps and then stopping. So you tend to, with... Intensity, yes, that affects heart rate, but intensity and time will affect heart rate even more. So the time element and the time component saw a greater increase in maximum heart rate. So we'll talk about that later when we dive into the discussion, which we're jumping into. So specifically, this study really wanted to look at the difference in you know how your ability to produce a faster standing velocity compared to you know, which type of um, sets you were performing, Uh, differences in your perceived exertion, right? Um, Which I don't know if I hinted to before, there was a slight difference um, in the person's perceived exertion. You could likely see or almost predict that in the rest redistribution, the person's rating of perceived exertion, how hard they felt they were working, was lower in the rest redistribution group, mainly because they did four reps then rested, right? Um, So at the time, that very acute point in time, they felt like they were doing less work compared to, man, I gotta do 10 reps, obviously you're doing the same amount of weight, so if you're doing more reps of that weight at the same time without rest, it's gonna seem like you're doing more work. So, But it wasn't really that big of a difference over the 40-repetition time because they're doing the same amount of work, and you can probably imagine how that would feel. Okay, so let's dive into some of the discussion because there's some really cool stuff that we can can chat about, and I want you to understand... um, So you can apply this into your own training. So the rest redistribution protocol was basically more effective in maintaining your ability to produce a faster velocity over the 40 total repetitions. And the difference in the decline basically doubled in the second half of the workout compared to the first, um, compared between the two two strategies. So there was a, a slight difference, like I mentioned before, for the rep one to 20, but then that difference doubled from reps 21 to rep 40 um, in the ability to produce that velocity over those last 20 reps, okay? So if your focus, again, is you really want to produce as much velocity, aka power, over X number of repetitions, this rest redistribution strategy may be the best strategy to apply, okay? Now, I'm not saying this has to be done every time because we also want to be able to produce force and produce power when we're fatigued as well, right? Because if we're living in a regular world where we get tired and fatigued, we still need to be able to produce power under fatigued states. But if you really want to maximize that chunk of time and focus purely on power and purely on velocity, that redistribution of rest might be the most effective. So it could have its, have its place um, in your entire training program as a whole. Okay now what really caused that difference for the aficionados out there that want to really look into the science of uh, what caused that you know that doubling of decrease in uh, velocity of standing from the bottom to the top of the squat between the two sets now there's obviously a difference um, in circulation of blood right and when you look at circulation of blood especially during exercise we start to produce something called blood lactate and we're not we never produce lactic acid. Right? We want to kind of get rid of that um, fallacy that's out there. Yes, you know, people say, man, I got all this lactic acid my, my my muscle. That's why I'm burning. That's why I'm hurting. There's a lot of discrepancies in the data out there that, that we're not 100% sure what is actually it, causing the pain within the muscle. right? But we know that blood lactate, it's a derivative of, of lactic acid, yes. But blood lactate is involved somehow in the muscle fatiguing. Okay, we don't need to dive into that topic. I'd love to talk about it, but it's its own rabbit hole to, of a discussion. Um, but we know if we are increasing our circulation, and if we're, we basically only produce blood lactate based off of intensity. So the higher intensity of a workload, the more and more blood lactate you produced because it's produced during the glycolytic energy system. That's the only only energy system that produces blood lactate. So if you're at a higher intensity, you're really pulling on that on that glycolytic energy system, which we talked about in a previous episode, meaning you're going to produce more blood lactate. And the way in which your body can remove blood lactate and use it as a form of usable energy, one of the ways is actually the, the muscle of the heart itself. So those are called myocytes, and they're the actual little muscles within the heart that actually make up the heart. And they can use blood lactate, and convert it into usable energy. So if we're circulating more blood back to the heart, and the heart can use that blood lactate and use it as energy, you essentially decrease the amount of total circulating blood lactate. So we start to see maybe a better capacity or less fatigue in the rest redistribution setting because we have, number one, we only did four reps, so we produce less amount of total blood lactate, right? And then we allowed time for it to be cleared from the system within that one minute of rest. So that may be a better arena or atmosphere or environment, however you'd like to put it, um, of being able to recover quickly compared to doing that set of 10 repetitions where blood lactate may have gotten, you know, very high and takes longer than the three minutes to recover that we gave ourselves. Okay. Also, your phosphocreatine. We talked about this in our creatine monohydrate um, chat on a a previous episode as well. We need time to replenish that within the muscle because we're using that energy system as well, that that ATP-PC system during this type of exercise. So if you're going to use less, you can replenish it faster compared to using a lot more and not giving yourself enough time to replenish it. So we can already see where... You know, you know. Physiologically, this rest redistribution is helping us produce power over the forty rep uh, span. Okay. All right. So we can also you know look specifically um, at um, the length of the training session. Right. We know it isn't is exactly the same. <clears throat> so the exact same amount of time is being done. The exact same amount of work is being done. But we can look at this specifically, and they found a real interesting finding here, even though it wasn't really statistically different, um, between squat depth. Now you can likely imagine that, even though it's being watched very specifically by a certified person in the room for each one of these individuals, squat depth was actually deeper in the rest redistribution group compared to the traditional set group. And as you can imagine, you're likely easier and more willing to get further if you only have to do four reps compared to that fatigue-inducing state of doing 10 total reps. Just subconsciously, you're not going to go down as far, right? Now, like I said before, all those squats were still deemed efficient and um, acceptable by the professional watching the uh, exercise take place. But when you look under a microscope, the person or the group doing that rest redistribution got a little bit further and that translate over time to actually doing more work, right? Because you did more total distance of travel, force times distance divided by time, compared to the other group. So keep that in mind as well, that if you're really focusing on things like mobility and improving strength through the full range of motion of an exercise, this could also be a tactic that you could use for um, maybe changing up that you know redistribution of rest compared to a traditional set. So yes, we can maybe focus and maximize our velocity, yes, we can perhaps improve our range of motion while under uh, a resistance through a fuller and greater range of motion by doing that strategy as well. Okay? So lots of different stuff and cool stuff out there that we talked about that I think you can take away from this as well. Now, the last one, we already said that there was really no difference between males and females. If we look specifically at heart rate, right, during that entire protocol, we saw a higher maximal heart rate, after doing traditional sets, and that was very kind of acutely right during that set of 10 reps, you were just doing more work over a longer period of time. Of just doing those 10 reps, your heart rate kept continuing to increase compared to just doing those four sets, but you had a higher average heart rate doing the a rest redistribution. So there's some give and take there between you know which one was more, um, you know, metabolically challenging. I think that argument can go either way because yes, the traditional sets was it kind of reached higher and higher into your overall capacity, but just overall time may have had a a difference there as well when you think about heart rate being higher over time. So either way, I think think there's place and time for both of these strategies in your training protocol. All right, so let's hammer down in the last few minutes here some really practical application and takeaway messages that I want you guys to be certain and maybe even try and use in your own training. So the subjects in the study were able to maintain their velocity with that rest redistribution compared to traditional sets much better, right? They perceived doing less work, even though they did the exact same amount of work, and they were able to get into greater squatting depths from rep one all the way through to rep 40, okay? I think those are some great takeaway messages right there. Like I said before, I think there is some. There obviously is the need to, hey, let's see how much power we can produce, how fast we can move something under a fatigue state as well. But you know, keep in mind that you need to be very sound in your technique there as well, because I don't want you doing any kind of crazy maneuvers to get the weight from point A to point B if it's not very efficient or effective uh, in your strategy. Um, we also saw that if you're a super strong individual, right? If you're um, if you're one rep max divided by your body weight, that little ratio we looked at before was greater than 1.75, this strategy might not work for you, as well as if you're lesser than that, mainly because you're lifting a higher resistance, and then you know, you're know you dealing with the law of inertia at that point in time. And a great takeaway message here, I always like to bring it up, no difference between sexes, right? Muscle is muscle. Neuromuscular connections are neuromuscular connections. They know no difference between gender or sex in this case, right? Yes, there are some differences um, hormonally between the two, but when you look at pure muscle and between males and females specific to biology, there's there's no difference. Okay, so there, if this strategy can be applied no matter who you are. Um, if you're really focusing on wanting to improve your overall power output and how quickly you can lift something, I think that rest redistribution is a great strategy to apply. So... If you have any questions on this, um, feel free to reach out or drop a comment in uh, wherever you're seeing this podcast. Um, I might also love any feedback um, that you have, or constructive criticism, or however you'd like to put it. So I'd appreciate any kind of review you can give. You know, take a few minutes if you've got that available um, and give a review or a rating because that tends to be the best way for this podcast to get even more exposure and even more ability to reach more and more people. So thank you again for deciding to spend the last 40 minutes with me. And I'll be back again next week with another episode for you guys. Thanks again, guys.